Bo, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you? I'm okay, trying to enjoy the sunny kind of warm day that we're having today. Looking forward to the weekend, maybe busting the grill out, having a cookout, that kind of thing. I uh, I got out a little this morning doing a little bit of our revised paper route. We don't drop at a lot of businesses right now because obviously they're closed. We are mailing right. to every mailbox, but um, I do stop at a couple gas stations in Sister Bay and I drop them off at Scandia Village where they say they're very appreciative to have some outlet. So we drop a couple bundles there, but I got to do that, which got me out of the house right away. And I was pleasantly surprised at the weather. Yeah, that's good. It's always good if you can find at least a little bit of time to get outside a little bit, walk around your neighborhood, do something. I've been trying this week to go on walks with my wife whenever I'm able to. We've been taking our son out in his stroller, and he seems to be enjoying that. <laughs> but yeah, just trying to trying to get outside, enjoy the weather. I feel like that's going to be more and more paramount as the days and weeks go on, just because the weather's going to start getting nicer, and getting out is going to feel fun again, and not just like, well, I probably should go outside at some point this week. It's actually going to be alluring to do so. <laughs> so we have a couple things to jump into today. First of all, yesterday, Governor Evers extended the safer at home order. So we should jump into that. Uh, but then we also have a conversation with Wisconsin Tourism Secretary Sarah Meany about how our department is adapting to a world without travel, basically. You had a cool conversation with her about some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into the news first, uh, and then we'll get into that afterwards. So yesterday, Governor Evers extends the safer at home order. There were a bunch of uh, changes and updates to the order as well, just in terms of essential businesses and kind of looking for a path forward. Uh, do you have the date on hand when it's extended to? It's like May 26th, right? Yeah, it basically takes us through Memorial Day. What was your take on that? I mean, did it surprise you to go that long? Were you were you kind of thinking that was the way it's going to go? Yeah, it, April 30th seemed pretty appropriate when it was announced. But sitting here April 17th today doesn't seem like we're going to be like ready to go out to eat again or open everything up in like two weeks. Right. Right. So the closer we get to the date, the more and more it was like, I don't think that this is going to be over with by then. So I'm not surprised that it goes to the end of May. I I guess I would have thought that we would have seen like a May 15th or something like that, something right in the middle that could have been moved out longer if need be. But it it doesn't surprise me. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if it went to June 1st, honestly. Yeah, I, I was more of that May 15th mindset too. I thought for sure they would extend it. I just thought it might be middle ground with and still leave some hope for Memorial Day. Maybe that's just a selfish Door County thing. <laughs> but I, I see a lot of knee-jerk like people seeing this as like a ridiculous overreaction. What what I think people should always account for is like like uh, Mandela Barnes, the uh, lieutenant governor said like, no governor wants to do this. This is not like a fun thing to do is say, nope, like everyone's judged by the economy when you're in a position like that. So you have to think like, all right, if they're going to extend this, this must be like, there must be something very compelling to make someone want to do that, to shut down the economy and do something so politically not popular. Um, although the support for what how Evers has handled this crisis has been something like 75% in the state of Wisconsin. So for the most part, people have agreed with things to this point. Whether they will want to hold out another five to six weeks, that remains to be seen. I did see, like at the same time, President Trump and the White House came out with some guidelines for what they feel states should do to guide them in reopening their economies. And 
one of those was two weeks of like a declining trend in new cases. Um, right. That's something that uh, Anthony Fauci has been spouting for a while now. That seems at least a, a ground level indicator that makes sense. Although if you open at the end of that and you still don't have testing and you still don't have tracing, you you probably just see these spikes. I mean, I, I was just reading another report of six deaths tied to a single funeral held a few weeks ago in North Carolina. So it's like you just get these these things happen so easily. The, the problem with the federal guidelines, as, as you probably saw as well, they, it's not any expert that you hear talk about this. And I'm not talking economists. I'm talking about experts who know about a virus, not people who know about selling products. Right, medical um, professionals. Yes, and, and people who study this stuff for a living day in, day out. When we're all not thinking about it, they're studying this stuff. All of them have, have said, like, to do this, you need to have a massive scaling of testing and a massive investment in contact tracing to be able to safely do it. Even in areas, and maybe especially in areas like Door County that don't have a lot of cases, well, we're actually a, a great test case for, oh wait, open that economy, but you'd need to do it to confidently do it. You'd really need a lot of testing available. So you could say, okay, we could somewhat isolate this area, test it as many people as possible. In any cases that do arise, we're gonna contact trace, like immediately we're gonna get all that information and isolate those people so we don't have an outbreak. Right. We, we don't have the capability to do anything close to that right now on a statewide scale. The other thing that I was thinking of with extending it in Wisconsin is, yes, we have state borders and we have county borders, but like our county border doesn't matter all that much to some degree unless we actually put a wall there <laughs> because a lot of our county government employees come from Green Bay every single day. A lot of our employees at Bay Shipyards and the manufacturing companies in Sturgeon Bay are coming from Green Bay, Kiwani, south of Door County. So that border only matters as much as you contain that border. Same thing from a state level is, yes, we have just under 4,000 cases in Wisconsin and just under 200 deaths in Wisconsin. Seems very well contained, right? But the virus doesn't respect borders. And so if you just go a few miles into Illinois, there's 25,000 more cases in the Chicago and Northern Illinois area. So, and there's nothing to stop them. And then if you open up Wisconsin, how many people from Illinois are gonna start just flooding and taking the opportunity to come up here, which normally I'm all about this, but now you're taking a ton of people from a place with massive levels of, of outbreak. So if you stop thinking about it in terms of like these little borders as if they really mean anything in terms of a virus, if you take that out of the equation, you can see how it can get Maybe, maybe that plays into the thinking of the state. I don't know, but that would play into my thinking if I were in their shoes. Right. So the, the three-phase plan that was unveiled yesterday during the, the coronavirus task force mm-hmm. briefing, I read through kind of the, the bullet points of it, and I think it's easy to, to jump on the, the no widespread testing and the no contract tracings as reasons to say that this whole plan doesn't work. And in some ways, yes, because without those things, you can't really reliably move forward regardless. Uh, but the the steps that are actually in the three phases are pretty interesting to look at. Have you had a chance to kind of look through each of the phases to see what has been proposed? Uh, just a little bit, but what stuck out to you? So phase one is about like 
giving businesses pathways forward in terms of reopening in in very restricted ways. So uh, it would include things like a restaurant can open, but it has to have drastically reduced seating, social distancing should take place within there, um, all that kind of stuff. So if you're if you're going to open your restaurant, you might be able to fit, I don't know, 100 people in there. Now it might be more like 30 people in there and your tables have to be spaced out and, you know, that kind of stuff. Bars are going to look very different in phase one. Uh, And the only way that you can get into phase one is if you uh, have seen that downward trend of cases over 14 days. So that's still putting things out into almost next month, right? For things to even start to move forward. Uh, And that's at a national level. I I believe that at this point, states are still in charge of whether or not they're opening or not. So you won't be seeing any restaurants opening up until after May 26 in Wisconsin. Is that your understanding of it as well? As far as it is right now, I mean, I guess there's an opportunity, as some would say, like maybe they're setting this as a far off deadline so people aren't just like ready to lift the gates as soon as that date comes. And maybe they're thinking we can bring this back later on. I haven't heard that from anybody, but that was one thing I thought, like maybe they're, maybe they're thinking we could do this a couple of weeks earlier. But yeah, everything you just said is what I, what I would envision. Um, right. It goes on in phase two to allow schools to reopen and, and bars can operate. And then in phase three, this is far down the line, probably at like at least a month or two down the line of seeing those, uh, those downward trending cases and no resurgence of cases. Because as soon as you see an uptick in cases again, from my understanding, you go back to phase zero, basically, and have to count your 14 days down again. It's very weird to try to like gamify it like that, but that's kind of the way that it's been laid out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also, there's no phase four. Like there's no, after phase three, we're back to normal. You know what I mean? Phase three has things mostly open, but with social distancing precautions still in place and, you know, things like that. So you're, we don't know if we're ever going to get back to like normal, normal, hanging out, shaking hands, all that kind of stuff, uh, at least not for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Unless, um, you know, there's two approaches of the vaccine approach, which is the ideal is that we develop a vaccine, but that's going to be short of a miracle. 12 to 18 months is the miracle timeline. So if, but there, there are treatments potentially like AIDS doesn't have a vaccine but it has treatments. Those took a long time to develop. Part of the reason those took a long time to develop is because our federal government didn't even, Ronald Reagan didn't even mention AIDS until like six years into the epidemic and 40,000 people were dead. So we, we didn't really attack the AIDS virus for like a decade. Um, and in this case, we're all attacking it. Every country in the world is attacking it. So maybe things speed up, but we also might be able to create some treatments. You know, there's a couple of different highly controversial ones. The one that uh, the president keeps spouting. There is, there are some not very in-depth studies and trials that show some effectiveness. There's other doctors who have said they've used it and seen, you know, no harmful effects, but no benefit. And then there's some who have said we've seen really harmful and dangerous effects. Then there's there's one remdesivir um, has had some early signs showing that it can help some people. So maybe six months from now, we don't have a vaccine, but we are treating it much better. And maybe that makes a big difference in what we can do and how we approach the disease. But it still seems very dangerous for um, a huge chunk of the population. So um, right. the other thing I saw, I was reading about Minnesota's modeling for this is a lot different than what a lot of the national models are. And Minnesota's policies are being based on a a model developed by the University of Minnesota that 
still shows and still expects about 20,000 dead in Minnesota, where the national models predict six to 700 dead in Minnesota. And national models say they're peaking in April and May. The Minnesota model has them peaking in June, July. So, I mean, who? hopefully that's incorrect, but that's even, that's what they're saying even with the distancing. So I don't, I think there's still so much debate amongst the, the scientific community in terms of how this is going to play out that may, maybe Wisconsin is looking at some of those models and thinking like, yeah, we're, even though we might feel that we're pretty close to over this in a lot of ways, I think, I think there is a feeling of that from a lot of people of like, look, see, it hasn't blown up in Wisconsin. We're all good. But maybe there's this whole other um, thinking of, no, this is still the, the lead up. And, and Jim Heiss has said that at Door County Medical Center. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things where Minnesota's gambit is on playing it safe is going to be the bare minimum. And I think that that's an okay way to look at it. You know what I mean? What you just said there in terms of feeling like we're we're past it or in the middle of it or before it, I think it's probably safe to hedge your bets on we are before things get their worst right now. Yeah. And, and expecting the peak to be coming in the months ahead, I think that that's probably a safer bet than to think that we have flattened the curves and we are good and things are fine. Because the other thing is, like, until there's significant decrease in new cases, if you open the gates back up and return to normal, you're going to see cases skyrocket. Yep. So I, I would hedge my bets on saying that we are before the peak of this. What's kind of crazy, though, is as I talk about that, and there is this perception among a lot of people that maybe we're past it and that it was overblown or something. But this comes as yesterday we had 32,000 new cases in the United States. I remember when it was a big deal to have 500 and when the Italian numbers of having 5,000 new cases in a day were blowing the world's mind, and when 500 deaths in a day blew everyone's mind, 2,300 people died of COVID-19 yesterday in the United States, almost as many people as died in 9-11. So that's, and that's happening every day right now. It's just that it hasn't overwhelmed every hospital, so we feel a lot better. Um, right. And that's with all these crazy measures we've put in place. Uh, Mike Gallagher put out an interesting kind of guidelines that he proposes for getting business back to normal. Mike Gallagher, the 8th Congressional District Representative in Congress, one, he, he calls for a bipartisan Wisconsin task force to create a plan to open in Wisconsin. Two, he calls for testing, testing, and more testing. That is not something that's been emphasized at the federal level, but he's saying like we we just have to massively ramp up testing. Three, develop responsible contact tracing and antibody analysis for individuals who have been infected. Again, that's another thing that's not being called for at the federal level. Maintain strict social distancing for the most at-risk populations. And then he calls for more aid to small businesses, expansion of the Paycheck Protection Program. He suggests, and I, I'm not against this, schools in for summer. I'm not sure that I'm for it, but I'm not knee-jerk against it. Like he says, our schools can't afford to lose a half year or more of schooling. High schools should consider more online classes, while younger classes may want to take use, make use of empty high schools to move to um, in-person instruction in significantly smaller groups and classrooms. It's an interesting idea. If we're serious about catching people up, there's a lot of considerations that would go into that. What do you tell teachers? Do you tell them, are they, are they going to get extra pay to do that kind of thing in the summer? There's a huge discussion to be had there. But I think when you think of education going forward, it's worth having that discussion. He talks about farmers and a lot of the things we haven't done for the farm community and reopen state parks with caveats. I think so too. I think like having this shut down and then not having the access to the parks is really tough on people in South Southern Wisconsin. 
And other countries have done this where they say, all right, in some countries I've seen it where they go, women can leave the house on Mondays, men can leave the house on Tuesdays, and then women can leave on Wednesdays. Like you could come up with like a block by block thing or in communities where you can go and use the parks, but not have them overcrowded and vandalized the way that was happening. But, and he also puts in there a, a bipartisan election plan and work on it now. And this is something I've talked to Joel Kitchens about this as well. I really think that they should be coming out with their first draft of a November election plan. I think their deadline should be May 1st. And I don't think the Republican leadership or Tony Evers should lead that charge because those, those two sides have shown that they really can't work together at all. And I, I blame them both a little bit for that, more, more so the, the legislative leadership. But they've got to find a group of people who can work together and come up with something sensible. And when right. you look at this last election, and if you're going to put public health first, the standard of this last election, April 7th, that cannot be your solution. <laughs> like, that cannot be, that's how we should do an election in a pandemic. Right. So, they, they and they, just give yourself a quick deadline because we have to have plans that we can debate and figure out now because you're not going to be able to figure this out in September. Right. One more thing, Miles, on the local level before we jump into your interview with Sarah Meany. Yesterday, Peninsula Players announced that they were going to be canceling their summer season, put out a press release in the Pulse as well as on their social media that they're going to be canceling their shows. They are hoping to do a fall performance, but we will we will wait to hear more information on that in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, that was a, a big bummer for a lot of people, obviously. Penn Players is a huge part of Door County Summers, and... Again, just like Northern Sky, I, I think a lot of people are like, why do we have to make that call right now? I actually talked to somebody yesterday who was like, I think that's bad for Door County that people are, are making these knee-jerk reactions so early. But as somebody who plans events and, and knows the pressure you are under to make a decision and communicate with your audience, I totally understand it. Right. I think these people have donors who want answers. They have fans who want answers. They have actors and employees who need answers. And there's just so much up in the air right now. Right. Well, and the, the big thing, too, is you have to think about, I don't know exactly what Penn Players' timeline is in terms of bringing actors in and, and paying staff, but you have to think about that. If you're going to wait to the last minute to cancel, financially, that is a, a much harder blow than canceling up front. Because right. like you talked about with Northern Sky, if you're not spending all of that money on your cast and your crew then you're not losing all of that money when it comes time to shut your show down. So these decisions have to be made early because the if the, the shoe lands the other way, then it, it's much more devastating. And, and a lot of people just don't know all the costs that go up front, like producing the playbills, um, right. printing all that, kind of, and paying for the printer for all those types of things, paying your marketing people to promote shows that you don't know are actually going to happen. Like that's a huge sunk cost that you have to do for months in advance. There's, there's just so much that even right now, even if you're, you're getting volunteers, like you're paying somebody on your staff to line up volunteers to be ushers and to hand out playbills at all your shows. And you, you'd be spending all that money on that volunteer coordinator for shows that may never happen. And right. for nonprofits, it's especially like, you know, in theater, it's not a wash in cash. So, <laughs> Well, and one of the unique costs that a theater company has, too, that unfortunately we're past the deadline for all of this is getting the rights to do your shows. Uh, for the most part, every single show that an equity theater puts on or even a high school theater or a community theater, every single one of those shows have to be bought and paid for to even start to use. Hmm. So 
if if you're going to have like even before auditions are held before your season is announced you're buying the rights to do your show and that's a sunk cost that i don't know if that can be made up i mean that's in the hands of the rights holders in terms of what they're doing for shows that are getting canceled but i would i would hope that the the rules are a little relaxed right now given what we're going through but if you buy the rights to a show and then don't put the show on i don't think that you get your money back so i mean there's another thing that that all of these theaters are having to deal with right now. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that. And that's the thing with like everybody from the outside looking in, criticizing businesses like we tend to like to do up here or organizations. But then if you actually take the time to find out what, what goes into those things, you can start to have a little more empathy for what they're dealing with. Another brilliant day on Facebook yesterday as the article about the Alpine Resort started to make its way around on Facebook. That article blew up. Oh my goodness. And, and in some cases, for all the wrong reasons and for, honestly, like people, yes. people being idiots. <laughs> Sorry if you're one of those people, but like the knee-jerk comment from people saying, because part of the article was they said they can't be certain about being able to get their J-1 summer workers, the J-1 visa workers from foreign countries, so they can't fill their staff. And if they don't know that and they know that it's not going to be until June, well, they won't be able to open and staff the, the resort. And some people will say, well, hire Americans. And there's so many people who make that kind of comment without any knowledge of how business up here works. Like I, everybody would love to if there were Americans available to work those jobs. <laughs> Miles, are you telling me that there aren't enough 16-year-olds in Door County to work all these jobs? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, Andrew. I mean, nobody ever talks about it, but it's a, it's a really well-hidden secret. <laughs> What's the graduating class in Gibraltar look like this year in terms of numbers? What, Gibraltar? Yeah. Gibraltar would be like, I think 40 maybe? There's not enough high school kids to work all these jobs? <laughs> yeah. And then you have these people going, it was always summer kids when I was working at the orchards back in the day. And I, I did take a little bit of glee in posting one of the videos we've done for Peninsula Filmworks. Then I just said, gosh, if only there were some video to show what the workers have been like historically. And we have that great old footage from the 30s and 40s of the migrant workers that we had to bring up here back then to work in our orchards and that we've always had to bring up here. Like it's not a, some of the the need in the service industry is maybe a little bit more recent, probably the last 25 years, but in our orchards and farm communities, we've always been desperate for help. And I also just, I just hate all those comments because I know personally so many people who came here as summer workers who have become our locals, become moms and dads in our schools, who have become volunteers on our boards and our organizations and now own businesses of their own, dozens of them. And Door County is not defined by, I was born here and that's it. And we're not defined by like, only Swedes or only Norwegians. I, I don't know. I think one of the best parts about here is the fact that we get these people from all over the world. And right. that kind of xenophobic stuff drives me nuts. So anyway, right. I got that out of my system. Thank you. Well, Miles, why don't we wrap up today with your interview with the Wisconsin Secretary of Tourism, Sarah Meany. Can you give me just a, a quick overview of what you guys talked about? Sure. She uh, wanted to talk to us about some of the programs that they're doing. Obviously, people aren't 
being encouraged to travel right now. So they're doing some kind of virtual things and contests and ways to engage with people and remind them of places to go in Wisconsin once we can travel again. And then we also had some conversations about the marketing goals of Travel Wisconsin and where they're trying to target to attract visitors to the state. And it was, yeah, she had some good perspectives on that. And we had a good conversation about that. And I appreciated to get the uh, time with her. Great. Well, we will jump into that right now. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. And joining us now on the podcast is Wisconsin Secretary of Tourism, Sarah Meany. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing us a little about what folks are working on in the Department of Tourism right now. Happy to do so. Thanks for having me. This is a, a wonderful time to be in the tourism business, right? <laughs> it's certainly um, an interesting time to be promoting travel, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, like, what we're going to talk about today is uh, how you, you're adapting and, and basically how, how yeah. businesses and everybody in this industry is adapting. So what can you tell me about the thinking right now in the Department of Tourism and some of the things you're trying to do to keep people engaged and thinking about Wisconsin tourism? Mm-hmm. Happy to do that. Well, first of all, I'll set the baseline so that people understand just how important tourism is to the state of Wisconsin. And um, in 2018 alone, $21.6 billion with a B billion dollars of economic impact in the state of Wisconsin alone came from uh, tourism and travel spending. And that also means uh, tourism sustains 199,000 jobs in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, So without question, tourism is one of the largest industries and one of the largest sources of dollars uh, into our tax revenues, which of course then support all the services that we as as Wisconsin residents um, uh, receive from the government. And just in the last four weeks alone, or or frankly, the four trailing weeks up through April 4th, we saw a reduction of $631 million in travel spending in Wisconsin alone. So, um, Thanks for bumming us out up here in Door County right now, Sarah. Oh, I know. I'm going to start with that, and then we're going to turn around and talk about why we still have reasons for optimism. So, I mean, obviously, and Door County is such an important part of the story when it comes to telling, you know, the story of Wisconsin being an incredible destination for people to experience. So um, we at the Department of Tourism, obviously, and very importantly, are not encouraging people to travel right now. We are encouraging people to support local. Uh, and that obviously means spending dollars with as many of our restaurants and retail stores and businesses as we possibly can to support them through this time to ensure that as many of them as possible are viable on the other side of it. So whether it's take out food or supporting our local arts or culture groups through, you know, um, buying merchandise or re-upping on our membership. Those are really important activities that all of us can be doing right now. And on the other side of it, we're also preparing to give people opportunities to dream now, but travel later. So we put together a bunch of programs that we think will help people you know, keep their minds engaged on the things we enjoy most about travel in Wisconsin and give folks the resources they need in order to plan a trip uh, for when it is safe to do so. And, and what are some of these things? Is this all digitally based stuff? Right, yeah. So, um, you know, what, what's crazy about this time of year is that it, it really isn't, now is not the busiest time um, for travel in Wisconsin, at least not throughout the entire state, some areas more than others. But right now is often the time where we are 
um, preparing for our very important summer season. And that would mean putting together marketing strategies and programs, getting ready to have advertising uh, programs ready to go, and really pushing the button usually around May 1st. Um, that is not the case this year, obviously. So what we've done is, in addition to having our summer campaigns ready to go when it is the appropriate time to do so, we've also built an interim uh, program of resources to share with people online from the comfort of their own home. So we're, we had to get pretty creative. Um, and one of the ways we did that was to think about what it is that the research tells us people love so much about their time in Wisconsin. So while we've used research to drive where our campaigns will be going in the future, it also tells us about the types of activities people reminisce about the most and the things they love most about Wisconsin and why Wisconsin is such a great place for them to visit. So one example um, that we launched just, uh, just last week was the Fish Fry Face-Off. I mean, who doesn't love a good fish fry? And of course, I would argue in Indoor County, a fish boil counts just as equally importantly. Uh, but um, we all know we love a good fish fry, especially on Fridays, right? And um, so online, we, we started a, a friendly competition all over the state where people could nominate their favorite fish fry spots online. It's playing out on social media. Um, and then the top 20 will then be selected to go head to head. We'll have a more in-depth um, voting activity. We think people are going to get pretty competitive, and then we will crown a winner. But keep in mind, this isn't just a virtual experience. Many of these businesses, depending on where you are in the state, are actually available for curbside pickup or carryout or delivery. So we want to continue to keep people's minds kind of engaged on how they can still support those local businesses, particularly the fish fries. Sure. So we're excited about that one. Um, that'll be that'll be fun to have that play out. But, you know, that, that's one way for people to stay active kind of in the moment as, as it relates to, say, the, res, the restaurant um, um, scene in their community. But also, we want people to stay engaged in the resources that continue to be available to them. So um, while the DNR did need to close um, um, a handful of state parks, there are quite a few that are still open and available, and many state trails. Uh, also remain open and accessible to people. So while we still encourage people to stay local in their own home residential communities, not to spread, uh, potentially spread the, the um, illness around, we want people to continue seeking things that give them joy. And outdoor recreation, uh, as, as far as it goes in, in Wisconsin tourism, is a huge driver of a lot of joy, but also a lot of uh, folks come to Wisconsin specifically because we have such a great offering. So I think those are some interesting ways people can get can get engaged. But we've also put together um, a program that we are calling Slow TV. Um, without question, right now it feels like time has has slowed down. Uh, we're we're in the same four walls. We're seeing the same faces day in and day out. And while we love them, we we kind of all need a bit of an escape right now. So what we've done is we've taken taken um, some of the most beautiful footage of our state. Uh, and turn them into small relaxation programs uh, where sitting and listening to the music and listening to the narration while looking at amazing aerial footage of some of our most beautiful destinations in Wisconsin gives us a chance to sit still for a minute, take a deep breath or two, and imagine those happy times and picture ourselves planning a getaway in that beautiful place in Wisconsin. We're calling that Slow TV. And that is available 
uh, our first episode is available now on our YouTube channel, uh, uh, Travel Wisconsin, as well as uh, through our social media channels. So people can look to that uh, and maybe tune in. Give yourself a couple minutes break uh, and escape for a minute while looking at some beautiful Wisconsin scenery. Um, I love that program. I think it's I think it's going to be um, you know respite for many of us. I actually felt calmer and more relaxed after just three and a half minutes of watching that. Um, and I think we all can use an escape right now. Yeah, I think uh, especially folks who are familiar with Door County, yeah. there's just such engagement right now with people who are just trying to be reminded of the times they've had in the past and hopefully anticipate times they'll have in the future. Um, where, where can people find all of these resources? So our website, travelwithgunson.com, is a great place for people to start. I mean, we have everything from trip planner tools to articles and videos and stories to inspire you to maybe check out a new place in the state, um, but certainly also the resources to help you make some decisions or engage your family uh, in looking through some of the spots they can go to when it's safe to travel again. And then, of course, our social media channels all also fall under Travel Wisconsin. So YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram would be wonderful places to look to see all these things as they play out. We also, I mean, I have to be honest, um, and, and while this is going to sound biased, I love all 72 counties of our state. But I grew up going to Door County quite a bit, and some of my favorite state parks are right there in Door County. And I always think of campfires when I think of uh, Newport State Park, because mm-hmm. we did that so much um, when I was growing up and with my friends. We're actually creating a social media campfire experience where people can experience virtually the sounds and types of conversations and experiences you'd have if you were sitting right around a campfire. So people will be able to tune into those through social media and kind of simulate what it would be like if we were all sitting around a campfire together at one of those beautiful state parks um, and maybe inspire us to make the plans to do so uh, a little bit later on this year. Yeah, Newport has been um, one of my escapes. I, I live about five minutes down the road from from there right now and obviously working nice. on my, my house a lot right now. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, we're incredibly fortunate in Door County that our parks are still open and that they're okay. not overcrowded because we just don't have that massive base of population. Um, and we, mm-hmm. we're asking people not to come here at the moment um, if they don't have right. to. So yeah, the Newport is great. There's the wide open trails out there. Um, and you also have a, a travel sweepstakes, I think, that you, you're you putting together right we now? We do, yes. I'd love to talk about that. So um, we put together, uh, not only do we want to inspire people to, to plan their own trips, but we also want to actually stimulate people to engage in some of the programs in order to enter to win one of 10 Wisconsin getaways. So they'll each kind of have a little bit different um, theme and activities and, um, um, you know, parts of the prize package from all over the state, but that'll be launching really, um, really shortly where you'll, you know, enter to win. Everyone can qualify. Um, and it's a great opportunity for a chance to get, um, you know, actually win a getaway in Wisconsin once it is safe to travel again. So we'll have uh, details on our website and on our social media channels. Um, but there are also several other virtual games on our website we'll be rolling out over the coming weeks. Um, to get people kind of excited and think, you know, learn more about uh, about Wisconsin. So there'll be a virtual go fish game where not only are you playing, you know, a fishing game uh, online, it's a little bit addictive, but you're also learning about the species of fish 
that you could catch in our waters in Wisconsin. So it's, it's educational and it's, it's fun and it's distracting. And then, of course, there's also a memory game. That memory game is going to test people's um, ability to recognize some of the more beautiful scenes or destinations, interesting destinations from around the state. Just like the classic memory card game, uh, you'll play it out online on screen and learn more about the state in the process. That's excellent. You know, from I'm curious if at the tourist Department of Tourism, now now that people have been locked down for about a month, I, I think the conversation is starting to shift to okay, like what does the future look like? How do we come out of this in a month mm-hmm. or six months or eighteen months, whatever that might be? Um, mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you see there being a lot more kind of interstate uh, or just like in-state? tourism and travel uh, if people are maybe afraid to fly. I saw right now that the airlines yesterday and a normal day would have had 2.3 million passengers uh, nationwide mm-hmm. and there yesterday was 87,000. And I, wow. I, I don't yeah. know that people are going to start packing airports right away when this lifts. So do you think there's an opportunity right. maybe for people to sort of rediscover their home state? Without question, I think you're really onto something. So the, the data uh, some of the research at the national level um, is is telling us that traveler sentiment is certainly shifting how people are thinking about their travel in the coming, you know, 18 months to two years even. What we're seeing is a, um, a bit more of a hesitance to plan a trip that would require a long, you know, um, a long uh, a long trip, like um, via uh, airplane or air travel. Uh, but instead, people are saying that they are still considering planning a trip in the next six months by car. So, um, you know, Wisconsin's actually really well poised to take advantage of that when it's safe to do so. Traditionally, Wisconsin's actually seen a significant majority of its visitors by car rather than by flight. Um, now, we think that's obviously down the road when the opportunity uh, presents itself, a, a growth opportunity. But in the short term, for residents in Wisconsin to rediscover their own state is, is a wonderful opportunity to also bring needed dollars back to communities across the state and thinking about how do we support each other and lift each other up, you know, a rising tide that's all boats. Um, and so we, we will be shifting um, or at least adjusting uh, the way we are executing our marketing campaigns to ensure that Wisconsinites are part of that target to re, you know, to revisit places in Wisconsin or uh, some places for the first time. That said, we're also focusing on building programs that enable statewide tourism entities to reach to further um, audiences while still within driving distance. So our neighboring states. Uh, happen to be a wonderful source of uh, visitors to the state. And it's nice to also bring um, additional pocketbooks to spend their dollars in our businesses and in our communities. So we're sandwiched beautifully between two very large cities, right? And um, those those cities happen to be important targets for our tourism marketing. But we also have several other markets that we um, plan on appealing to, particularly in this time of um you know, opportunity to grow the, the drive market and that that road trip market. Um, speaking of those neighboring cities, Chicago is one. I moved back here to Sister Bay from Chicago three years ago, but mm-hmm. I had lived mm-hmm. I lived down there for six years. And one thing mm-hmm. that struck me growing up in Door County, where you think everybody that comes here is from Chicago, and you feel like the name recognition for Door County must just be ubiquitous in um, the Chicago area. 
Once I moved there, I realized that is not the case at all. And even travel wise, um, first of all, you'd never, you'd never see Door County signs in Chicago. You'd never see Door County advertising in, in the city. And people certainly under the age of 40, if they knew Door County, they knew it as the place that make their parents or their grandparents used to go to. And may, uh-huh. maybe uh-huh. they went there as a kid. But most of the people I would run into, into Lake Geneva, and it was Southwest, Southwest Michigan and right. Traverse mm-hmm. City. There was much more recognition mm-hmm. of Traverse City. And in fact, in the buses, in the subways, you would see not just the Pure Michigan campaign, which is just simply, it's a great campaign. And then, mm-hmm. but you would see advertisements specifically for Traverse City and little destinations within the state. I'm curious mm-hmm. if... Um, like that was a huge eye opener for me to see. Is that something that yeah. Travel Wisconsin is focused on retrenching? Um, maybe in that Chicago market. Absolutely. I mean, you you pointed out amazing examples of exactly what um, the research and the data tells us very clearly. Um, Chicago has always been a significant advertising target market for uh, Travel Wisconsin. Although, what I would say is, as other competitors. Um, budgets or spend within Chicago have continued to grow. Um, our dollars, uh, our, our budget hasn't changed much over many, many years. And so, you know, it all comes down to how much are you spending relative to your competitor spending in order to actually have a share of voice. Now, that's also true when you think about how you target advertising. Uh, what we've worked to do is um, expand the age group that we think of as Wisconsin visitor audiences. And we saw that we were actually falling behind other um, Midwestern states in terms of our success in attracting younger visitors. Not because it wasn't something we were trying to do, but in order to do that, you have to actually shift where you advertise, how you advertise, what you're, you know, what you're advertising for people to do and where they would go. Um, and so we've, we've made a lot of shifts to our approach, uh, which I think you'll see in our, our uh, new summer campaign, which I'm really excited about. And, and it could not be more relevant for this time than it actually is. Um, and, and what you'll see is there's, there's kind of a renewed sense, a refreshed sense of what Wisconsin actually offers to um, visitors of all ages, uh, but including sort of a fresh, youthful perspective, regardless of what your age actually is. So the the ad campaign that we have ready to go when it's appropriate to do so is called Perfect Summer. It's actually available for people to have a look at right now. Normally, we would have had a much bigger launch for it, um, you know, let people know about it earlier. But Clearly, we've had some other things going on that we needed to focus on, uh, and uh, that ad is available on our YouTube channel. We are not placing it in media markets right now or until it's appropriate to do so, but um, there's there's a sense of um, wonder and youthfulness and a refreshing sense of what it feels like to be in Wisconsin, and it actually features 13 different counties from our state, which is mm-hmm. really a shift. Um, in how we as a state have marketed. And I think um, it's a reflection of what the data has told us. And a lot of that is what you you were just saying. So um, a younger uh, audience, while at the same time also appealing to our traditional audience, we did a lot of audience testing to ensure that that uh, is still the case. Um, And then also making sure that that the variety of activities that we are representing um, are reflective of the types of activities people want 
and what they believe Wisconsin can deliver on. So there's a lot of science that went into that arch. And um, I think once once we're able to kind of let loose on things, uh, we would expect that over time, you'll start seeing a shift in people's awareness of Wisconsin as um, a premium destination. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great shift in, in the marketing because what I witnessed is if you could get somebody to come to Door, Door County or co- go to Milwaukee from the Chicago area, if they were, say, in that 25 to 40-year-old age bracket, mm-hmm. um, once you got them there, they'd go, oh, this is great. I had no idea. But there was nothing pulling them there I, without like a personal touch or, or personal connection that would make them come up here. So you get somebody right. to come in that age group to come to Fall Fest one time, they're going to come back again and again and start a tradition. That's or if you, absolutely true. If we get and them the to come. And that as well. People, people who do come to visit Wisconsin um, are, are surprised and in awe, and they're surprised that they just never knew before. Um, and they often, very often, become repeat visitors. So we know that getting people to Wisconsin for the first time is sometimes a hard thing to do. You have to you have to spend dollars, and you have to be really strategic about it. But once we get them to come here, we know people want to come back, um, and, and that, that plays out again and again. Um, in the data. And that, so, go, that goes for a, a place like Milwaukee as well. You, you People have an, mm-hmm. outsiders have an image of it. And then if you finally get a Chicagoan to come to, to Milwaukee, they, they find there's great food. There's beautiful beaches without the crowds. You have no traffic. Right. You can get everywhere easily. You pay a dollar to park and you eat and drink wonderfully. And people are incredibly nice, but you have to get them right. over that initial hump exactly. of, of what their impression of Milwaukee might be or you know, they don't think the food's going to be as good or even in Door County, like our food and, and beverage scene has changed so dramatically in the last few years mm-hmm. that it's a yeah. it's a totally different impression people have today versus 10 years ago. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what's amazing? I think um, I, I think people are often surprised by the, the refreshing combination of old school and new school frankly. Mm-hmm. It isn't that everything is suddenly avant-garde and modern and trendy at all, any, anywhere in the state, frankly. It's that what you have is a delightful combination of things that have been around forever and things that bring a new, fresh perspective at the same time. And that's the balance and the interplay of those things, that heritage and that tradition mixed with, you know, truly refreshed and, and um, you know, uh, uh, an enlightened perspective that that really is so surprising to people and that it, that people leave Wisconsin feeling like that was such a unique, unusual, different kind of um, vibe. And that's what they report in the research as well. It's like sometimes they can't put their finger on it. It's like it just feels different here. <laughs> and, and a lot of that also has to do with um, the people and the way it feels to interact with the locals everywhere you travel in the state that, um, you know, the friendliness and warmth is something you may experience, you know, in a lot of places you visit, but there's something different about the level of engagement and warmth and friendliness in Wisconsin that people remark on again and again um, in our research. So these are all the things that we're working to play up. It's those moments between humans while set with the backdrop of beauty and, you know, refreshment in the state that ultimately makes a winning combination. So I encourage you to definitely have a look at that ad and think about how it makes you feel about your own home state. And then just imagine how that translates out to people who may be less familiar to the state of Wisconsin um, and, and how that may inspire them to want to visit. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think a great example of that that urge people have and that nostalgia that they have for Wisconsin is the fact that you see um, Wisconsin-style dive bars being opened in Chicago. You have um, supper yeah. club-themed restaurants opening in Chicago on, as being like high-end destination places. Um, we mm -hmm. take them for granted, but people yearn to go to those kind of places. Um, mm -hmm. what, and they're really memorable. There, there's some, you know, people walk away going, wow, that was just so unique and one of a kind. And that's where the memories are made. And that, those are the types of things people are seeking. They want those moments that stick with them for a long time. So they want to feel the way they felt during those moments of joy. Um, and so that's what we're here to deliver on. You know, we want to make sure we understand what they're looking for, but let them know that we're not going to disappoint when they get here. So um, it's all a bit of science, really. Um, but ultimately, it's only it's only possible if it's actually already true. Right. And so everything is, is based in um, knowledge that what Wisconsin uh, really delivers on for people when they come here and visit is something that we should make sure they're aware of. Um, and particularly to to inspire people to try it for the first time. Um, Sarah, thanks for your time. But one final question for you um, for yeah. kind of our, our tours and businesses up here in Door County. Any thought about what the future looks like for people in this industry, whether it be restaurants or hotels? Have there been discussions at the state level in terms of what what will a hotel have to do differently in the future as we hopefully get to a point where we can open up to some measure or what will a restaurant have to do? Um, mm -hmm. Has there been discussion on that level yet? Um, yes, those discussions have definitely begun there. I mean, there are still so many things that are unknown, but ultimately what, what our intention is to do is work with public health officials to inform our recommendations for either policy or changes in operating procedures that we'll then be able to share out with the communities and out, you know, out into the business community and into the tourism industry so that people can imagine and start preparing um, as soon as we're able to share some of that information. So, yes, um, a lot of those conversations already have begun. Uh, I am continuing to work very closely with my colleagues who lead other state agencies to understand exactly how resources are going to be made available, how guidance will be available. Um, but also, we have to imagine, and I think we all know deep down, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be a new normal. But it, it doesn't have to necessarily be that we imagine that it will be as restrictive as it is now forever. So um, I, I like the analogy that's being used right now, which is it's not going to turn back on it like a switch. It'll be turned up like a dial um, because what we have to do is keep in mind why we're doing this in the first place, which is we have to keep people healthy. We have to keep keep in mind that um, until there are proven um, medical treatments for this illness and the ability to consistently track the spread of this illness, we have to still continue to you know stay safe and keep those limitations um, in place. So um, all of those things under consideration. Uh, I think we can look forward to an opportunity where we can go back to our favorite restaurants again. It may be slightly different uh, where we can travel to another part of the state and stay in a really great B&B or a hotel, but it may be slightly different. So those things are still a little bit wait and see, but um, rest assured we're working on that and we intend to share as much guidance and support as we possibly can as soon as we have that information. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in Door County uh, when we can travel again. I'm so looking forward to it. Thanks so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.